Um, cool. Hey, guys, today we are ending uh, another great semester. We're kind of transitioning today. This is kind of the close of, of this season for us. Thank you, good sir. All right. This is the close of this season for us. And starting next week um, as a way, this is something we do every year, as a way of kind of embracing the rhythm of our community, as a way of refreshing our own souls as a church. Um, we're going to start uh, Worship at the Well next Sunday. So every Sunday in the month of May, we go out to the old well and we set up right there um, on, the, on the grass there. And you can bring a blanket, bring a friend, you know, bring a lawn chair, whatever, and hang out with us there. And um, it's a great way for us to kind of refresh ourselves and to remind ourselves of our roots here uh, in this community. So come and be a part of that next week. Um, also, today, as a way of celebrating God's faithfulness to us throughout this year, we're kind of closing out this afternoon with a, with a big party um, out at Merritt's, okay? You guys know Merritt's Store and Grill. And our friend Vimala from uh, Vimala's Curry Blossom Cafe is catering barbecue, okay? Yes, North Carolina barbecue from our town's greatest Indian restaurant, all right? I love it. It's perfect, okay? It's going to be great. Come out there, hang out with us. It's going to be a great time, great way for us to close out today. Um, also, originally we had scheduled a baptism service. Um, that's part of, of what we do there at Merritt's. And we walked down to Morgan Creek and we experienced baptism together. Um, a couple of the people that had signed up for baptism are actually not able to do it. And so um, we will still have the party out there and we'll have the vans running, okay? And so as soon as church is over, the van's going to be transporting people down there and we'll celebrate um, but here's the other piece to that, okay? Throughout the service today, the rest of the service, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is pushing you, then that invitation is still open for baptism, okay? If you feel like the Holy Spirit is pushing you, today is the day that you need to make that public declaration, that proclamation that I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I want to make this public declaration of that, through the act of baptism, then that invitation is open for you. That's what baptism is. It's this public declaration. I am a follower of Jesus. And as we go down into the water there, as we go underneath the water, we are buried to our old lives, sharing in the death of Jesus Christ. And then we are raised back up out of the water in the power of the resurrection, the new life of Jesus. We share in that as well. And so that's what baptism is. And uh, normally we like to walk people through a, a time of preparation for that. Okay, so that's normally how we do it. But from time to time, we'll open it up like that because there's plenty of evidence through the book of Acts and in the New Testament that many people in the early church did that. Okay, so that's open. Um, you let the Holy Spirit lead you on that. Okay, awesome. God, help us today as we dig into your word. Um, we're just so blessed. We're humbled by your grace towards us. We are moved by the power of what we celebrated last week in Easter in the resurrection. We are moved by the power of the cross and what you did for us there, the sacrifice that makes salvation and forgiveness possible for us. 
we are humbled, we are moved, we are grateful. And our hearts and our minds are open to you today. Speak to us however you want to speak to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Along the way, we all collect these marks of our experience. Okay? Our experiences leave these marks on us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, we were working on colors with our, with our kids. Okay, we have two sons, Sam and Luke, little twin boys. They're turning three this summer. They are a handful, and I love every minute of it, okay? These guys are awesome. And so we're working on colors, and, and, and Luke was running through his colors, okay? And so he's saying, the grass is green. The swing is red. Sammy's hair is brown. Daddy's hair is blue. <laughs> Good one, kid, all right? You're grounded, okay? Um, later that, that same actual day, uh, I was with Justin in Panera, and there was this older gentleman there in Panera who was very nice, and we talked for a second, and he asked me, literally asked me, if Justin was my son, all right? So I wrestled him right there in Panera. And he won. Um, <laughs> the marks of experience, okay? I bear the marks of experience everywhere I go, all right? All of us do. We collect these marks of experience, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 24, coming uh, in the aftermath of Easter. And we're going to look at the ways that the resurrection marks us, okay? This experience of the resurrection of Jesus leaves these marks on us. So Luke chapter 24, we're going to start with verse 13. And to prove all those people who call me old wrong, I will now wear reading glasses, which I forgot at the back (laughs) earlier. Okay, I am not old, okay? 24, starting with 13, all right? Now the same day, the same day as the resurrection, uh, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. I love that, right? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. 
but they did not see Jesus. We're going to stop right there, and we're going to look at this first mark that the resurrection creates in us. The resurrection creates hungry minds. The resurrection creates hungry minds. When we pick up these disciples who are traveling on this road, the road to Emmaus, sometimes you'll hear that term used as this kind of moment of discovery and journey towards discovery for people. These disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, trying to make sense of the scandal of the cross that they just experienced on Friday. And now the rumors of the resurrection that are beginning to spread on Sunday. They are doing everything they can to make sense of the scandal of the cross and the rumors of the resurrection. Their minds are working through it. They are discussing it together. They are trying to put the pieces together and make sense of what has happened. We thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, clearly, that plan is off. There's no way that that hope will be fulfilled. Now they are dealing with the crushing weight of that disappointment and even more the devastation of the loss of this friend that they love so deeply. And they're trying to make sense and put these two pieces together. The scandal of the cross and the rumors of the resurrection. How do they fit together? What are we supposed to do with this? The resurrection gets our minds moving. It makes us think. It makes us dig into this. It makes us look into to, to all of the evidence of it. It begs us and invites us to search, to try to put the pieces together, to try to make sense of it. Jesus never just asks us to blindly just, just swallow whatever he's throwing at us, okay? He wants us to use our minds. He wants us to use our minds. He wants us to engage our imagination and our intellect with what Scripture is telling us. And at times when we come up against questions that are too big for our faith, we think that's not the time to shut down and to say, well, it must not be true. Absolutely not. We've talked about this over and over. Some of you, this is your last Sunday with us after being with us for for several years, okay? And and I'm saying this again because I want you to take this with you. When you find questions that are too big for your faith, don't give up. That is an invitation for God expanding your faith, taking you into a deeper understanding of who he is. God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of your questions. He wants you to bring your questions. He wants you to work it out to engage the mind and the intellect in partnership with the faith and the heart. He invites that. I love this. In uh, Martin Luther's treatment of this passage, um, he phrases it this way. He describes what the disciples are doing, what these, this, this conversation between these disciples in this way. He says... When they communed and questioned together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. As they communed and questioned together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus 
is entering into these questions that you have. And these questions become an invitation to go out into deep water, into deep water. And once you go through that barrier, what seems like a barricade and a barrier, you, you begin to realize it's just an invitation to go further down the path with him, to understand him more, to have, have mysteries of it unlocked for you. He invites this. Invites us. Do you understand all of create all of Christianity right now? Do you understand every mystery of the character of God? Of course you don't, and that's good. That's good. He's going to continue to expand your understanding throughout the rest of your life. Throughout the rest of your life, the resurrection sparks hungry minds. It sparks hungry minds. Now, as you dig into Scripture. As you engage the imagination and the intellect and expand your understanding, here's something that you need to know. This always needs to be matched with humility. It always has to be matched with humility. The the more you understand Scripture as your knowledge of Scripture and your knowledge grows, then your humility will grow with it. If your study of Scripture is producing spiritual pride in you, then you are doing it wrong. You are doing it wrong. The deeper you go into it, the more and more you realize your need for grace. The more and more you see yourself in the truest light and see God in a more true light as well. And it should produce humility in you. A sharp mind has to be paired up with a humble heart. Spiritual pride is one of the greatest dangers in Christianity. Study the scripture. Study the scripture, but keep your heart humble as you expand your mind. I love what Jesus does here as he as he enters in to their questions and these questions that they are wrestling with and and then they ask him as well, are you the only one who doesn't know? Like have we're talking about these things. And then Jesus actually responds with another question, right? We've talked about this before. Jesus is the rabbi. And this is, this is kind of a, a rabbi move to do, right? When you bring a question, then, then Jesus often poses another question that begins to unlock the mystery for us, right? And he invites us into that process of figuring these things out with him and of, of enlightening us, right? And this is what he does again. What things? What things? I can kind of see that little like smile on his face even as he says it, right? What things? The poet T.S. Eliot says, beware the stranger who knows how to ask the questions. Beware the stranger who knows how to ask the questions. And this is what we see in this moment as Jesus comes up along beside these disciples and they don't recognize him. Here's what you're going to find in your life. There are going to be profound and pivotal moments in your life where Jesus is going to reveal answers for you. And perhaps there will be more profound and pivotal moments when Jesus poses questions to you. He knows how to ask the questions. And throughout the rest of your life, he will pierce your heart with these well-placed questions at just the right time. And it's often the questions, even more than the revealed answers, that become pivotal moments for us as it awakens this hunger and this desire to search more and more 
and more. The resurrection, the first mark that it leaves on us is it, it creates in us hungry minds. The next piece is this. We're going to look at uh, verses 25 through 27 and what happens next. So Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. I love this. So powerful. So as the men are walking along, as the disciples are walking along and they're trying to make sense of the scandal of the cross and the rumors of the resurrection, Jesus takes both of these and brings them together to form the lens through which all of Scripture is understood. The sweep of Scripture is unlocked through these moments right here. And as Jesus begins to walk them back through these familiar stories that they knew by heart, they were raised on these stories, these stories were ingrained in them, suddenly new layers of meaning start to happen for them as Jesus begins to walk them back through. And he says, don't you understand that the Christ had to be had to be killed, had to lay down his life and then had to pick it back up again in glory, right? Don't you understand these things had to happen? Six times throughout the book of Luke, Jesus had already told them this and predicted what was going to happen to him to try to prepare them. And it just didn't sink in. But now in this moment, he begins to unlock it. Don't you see this had to happen? And through this, through this lens of the scandal of the cross and the rumors of the resurrection, he begins to bring into focus everything else that they have learned and everything else that they know about God. And suddenly they are seeing it in a brand new light. Suddenly it's making sense in a way that it never made sense before. They see the creation. They see the covenants. They see the law. They see the exile. They see the deliverance. They see the prophets, the priests, the king. They see the sacrifice. All of it suddenly they begin to see in a completely different light because they see it through the lens of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Jesus is inviting us to see the whole sweep of Scripture, to see the whole realm of reality through the lens of the scandal of the cross and the reality of the resurrection. He's inviting us to see that. And when we begin to look in that way, it comes alive in a brand new way. Jesus is the new and better Adam. Adam brought sin into the world and Jesus conquers sin through his death and resurrection and brings forgiveness. Jesus is the new and better Abraham. And we look at Abraham as this, this, this character of, of great faith, this example of faith. And Jesus is the new and better Abraham. He is the object of our faith, right? He is the core of our faith. Jesus is the new and better Isaac, the child of promise, miracle born. And through him, the entire world is blessed by God. The new and better Moses the one who leads us out of slavery and into the promise of forgiveness and freedom through the grace of God, through Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. He is the new and better David, the king 
that we have been hoping for, the rightful king who will take his place on the throne and will reign, will reign forever with truth and grace and power. He is the new and better Esther, the one who makes a way for the salvation of his people. He is the new and better Isaiah, the one who doesn't just give a message from God, but embodies the message of God and at the same time becomes the fulfillment of the message of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the centerpiece of all of history. H.G. Wells says, I am not a believer, I'm a historian. But as a historian, I cannot help but look at this penniless preacher from Nazareth and say he is the center of all of history. There is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. And through the reality of Jesus, every other mystery becomes unlocked to us through the cross, through the resurrection the lens through which we see it and understand it all. He moves on. He continues to go on with the disciples. It says this, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, they took bread gave thanks, broke it, and, and he began to give it to him, to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. I love this moment. I love this moment. So if, if the resurrection produces this first mark of hungry minds that we will search out what the, what the cross and what the resurrection means, Right. And then second, uh, the resurrection produces anchored souls in the person of Jesus. We are anchored in Jesus. He is the centerpiece of all of it. Then here in this moment, we see number three, that the resurrection produces open eyes. The resurrection creates open eyes. There is this moment of awakening that happens because of the resurrection. As Jesus breaks the bread, they recognized him and their experience with him before revealed him again. Their experience with him before revealed the truth of who he was once again for them. This is powerful. This is powerful. Now, what had happened on Friday and on Saturday had shook them so deeply that their experiences with Jesus before all came into question and doubt. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. But now, in light of what has happened We have no clue. We don't know what to make of it. But the resurrection gives us open eyes to help us see that these moments that we're going through, these Fridays and these Saturdays of despair and devastation that we go through, we think that they completely wipe away everything that we've experienced from God before. That must not have been real before. But in this moment, we see Absolutely it is. God is consistent. God anchors us through all of that. And as Jesus breaks the bread, it's their experience with him before that helps them recognize him now. It's their experience with them before that helps them recognize them now in the middle of this, what they had felt was devastation and despair. This is true. 
God will carry you through. There'll be moments when you begin to wonder if what you experienced before was even real. Because what you're going through now, it just seems like it's completely wiping that away. It's bringing it into doubt and question and confusion. But God is consistent. God is with you. God continues to walk you through that. And you will find, you will find that your experiences before will help bring light to discovering him again, to seeing him again, to experiencing him again, to making sense of what you are going through right now. What happened before, it helps make sense of now. Ernest Hemingway, who doesn't want to be Ernest Hemingway, right? Everybody, okay, everybody wants to be Ernest Hemingway. Uh, he talked about his experience of um, living in Paris at this kind of crazy time when a lot, a lot of his popular and in this country very American authors are living in Paris. And he spoke about it, and here's what he said about it. He said, if you're lucky enough to experience Paris as a young person, then wherever you go for the rest of your life, it'll go with you. Paris is a movable beast. Paris is a movable beast. Same is true, and to a much deeper extent, of course, of the person of Jesus. This moment when Jesus returns them to the feast that they had experienced before. This, this feast that they had experienced before. Throughout your life, you will discover that Jesus is a movable feast. He goes with you everywhere. And consistently, the truth of what the meaning of the broken bread and the poured out cup, what that means, will continue to be pressed into your heart. Wherever you go for the rest of your life, you carry the experience of the reality of the resurrection with you. You cannot shake this. You cannot shake this. You never will. The resurrection creates open eyes. The final piece is this. As, as Jesus disappears there from their sights and they realize what has happened, they say to each other, it was him. And they have this incredible moment there where they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the road? Did not our hearts burn in us? The resurrection produces burning hearts. It produces burning hearts, this personal experience of the reality of who Jesus is. Hungry minds, so important. Search the scriptures, dig into it, so important. But it has to be paired with this burning heart. For the, these first followers, the resurrection was so much more than theology. It was so much more than a doctrine to be debated. It was personal. It was personal for them. And it was a personal encounter with the once dead, now very much alive, Jesus Christ. The resurrection is personal. And it has to create in us these burning hearts. Burning hearts. The resurrection is personal. And this weekend, we felt that in a different kind of way. Uh, many of you guys know Miss Robin Britt. She's the owner of Merritt's Store and Grill. We talk about Merritt's all the time. It's one of our favorite places in this favorite town of ours, right? And Miss Robin, uh, this past weekend, passed away 
after struggling with cancer for almost nine months. And the reality of that hit us in a very difficult kind of way. Very difficult way. Miss Robin, from the start of this church, had been such a cheerleader and a supporter and a champion for us. Uh, we met her before the church even started in a prayer group, and she consistently prayed for us. And all along the way, just was so generous with everything she could give us, whether that was relationships or, or other ways that she could just open her doors to us. She's incredible. And we would not be the church that we are right now without Miss Robin's influence along the way. Miss Robin was a true Christian, true Christian, the kind of person who has such an authentic experience with Jesus that it just bleeds out of her, right? You could not be in her presence without experiencing her love for Jesus and Jesus's love for you through her. Miss Robin was ready to move at any moment, at any whim of the Holy Spirit, she felt, all right? She was ready to move in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Beautiful life, a beautiful life. We're so grateful for her, for everything that she's done, from opening her doors for our baptism celebrations to praying for us consistently to every Sunday giving us the coffee for free to to as part of our Sunday morning celebration here. Her marks are all over this place, all over this place. And for me, as I wrestled with that yesterday in a very personal way, this is just kept coming back. It just kept coming back. For the disciples, this was more than theology and doctrine. This was personal. This was personal. And for us, it's personal as well. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we celebrate that that is for us as well. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have forgiveness for sin. We were slaves to sin, but he sets us free. Because his body was broken and because his blood was poured out, we experience salvation through his grace. And because Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Because Jesus Christ is alive today. We also experience freedom and hope. And the entire future has been changed for us. The cross and the resurrection affects the way we look back through the history of God's activity in the world. But even more so, it also affects the way we see our own future because of that. We have this hope. We have life in Christ because of the resurrection. And even when we mourn the reality of death in this world, we know there's a deeper reality. Jesus is alive and we live in him and we will live forever with him. We're grateful for that. The resurrection leaves its marks on us leaves its marks on us, and we cannot shake them. We cannot shake them. This morning as we close out, we're going to share communion together. This is a meal that we love to share together to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, what he did for us, the scandal of the cross that led to this reality of resurrection and the hope of resurrection 
So we're going to invite you today to come forward and to share in the table of Jesus. As we break the bread, as you come down, you'll tear off a piece of bread and then you'll dip it into the cup. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup has spilled out blood for our salvation. If you are embracing that today, that reality of Jesus' sacrifice for you, then we welcome you to the table to come and to share in that with us. This is his table, and he invites you as his guest to be there. For many of you, this is how we will close out with you, okay? And we just want to say, if you are graduating uh, either from undergrad or grad school and you're moving away, we thank you so much for being a part of this church family. You've been an incredibly important part of this. We love you, we affirm you, and we commission you to go out, all right? You're not just leaving, we're sending you out, all right, with the heart of Jesus to love wherever you land with the heart of Jesus, just like you love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus here with us. Let's pray, and then we're going to invite you to come down. You'll come out the aisle, come down, and um, there's on either side, okay? And you can partake, and then you go back up the aisle to your seats there, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the author of the story who stepped into it to take on the leading role. You are the great protagonist. And as we look back on the history of God's activity in the world, as we see it through this lens of the scandal of the cross and the power of the resurrection, it all begins to make sense. And we see it in a completely different light. The pieces come together as we look back on this narrative arc of what you have been doing in the world. And you invite us to be a part of that story and to bring our subplots into this bigger picture, and we join you in that. We celebrate the power of the resurrection and the marks that it leaves on us. So in your name we pray. Amen.